Hello, and welcome back to Letter Day Ramblings. So today I'll be talking about the misconceptions that Mormons have about people who leave the church. And there are many, but I'll be narrowing it down to a few uh, in this episode. So I found three articles uh, written by active Orthodox Mormons on this topic that I think perfectly um, exemplify how most Mormons see us ex-Mormons and what they perceive to be our reasons for leaving. So let's start with this article called The Four Reasons People Leave the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and How to Help Them Come Back. Written by Jeremy Goff. So what's our first reason? The first reason is they slip into inactivity. So here Jeremy basically argues that the most common reason why people leave the church is simply inconvenience. Um, It's like it's too hard to go to church and do everything that the church says they should do and that's why they just like stop going but they never really make a conscious decision it just doesn't work for them so he writes scripture study then morning and evening prayers are often the first things to go and then church attendance soon follows so he's like oh well this like downward spiral like first like the simple little things start going and then everything crumbles I mean, have you ever really thought about that maybe the church um, and its requirements breed toxic perfectionism? Maybe you're the ones who are making it hard, and if you would make it easier, less people would leave. That makes sense, right? It's not that people who leave are lazy, at least the vast majority of people who leave are not lazy, but maybe, just maybe, you're asking too much of people. Like, look at the immense list of things that you need to do to be a good Mormon. It's insane. There's this amazing list on recoveringagency.com, which I'll put in the um, source notes. Here's a short excerpt from it. Um, It's called The List of Mormon Commandments. Attend all meetings, magnify your calling, attend the temple, get baptized, get endowed, wear your garments, always, dress modestly, maintain a clean appearance, avoid the appearance of evil, do not drink alcohol, coffee, or tea, no smoking, don't cuss, do not read anti-Mormon material, keep one of your food storage, grow a garden, do genealogy, read the scriptures, pray, read Elias magazines, don't masturbate, don't have sex before marriage, don't watch porn, only listen to uplifting music, go on a mission, don't get tattoos or piercings, try to convert your friends and co-workers, avoid unrighteous people and places, do not go into bars, have faith, go home and visiting teaching, fast, pay tithing, pay fast offering, avoid being alone with members of the opposite sex, give service to others, feed the missionaries, raise up your children in the gospel, have a large family, hold family home evening, follow the prophet, magnify your talents, honor your parents, don't work on Sunday, don't criticize your leaders, don't cross-dress, partake of the sacrament, repent, do not take the Lord's name in vain, get married in the temple, be sealed to your family, work hard, bear your testimony, keep your thoughts clean, do not get an abortion, do not commit homosexual acts, rattle your passions, and avoid associating with apostates. And that's pretty much it. I mean, that's not even everything, but it's most of it. Be honest with me, Jeremy. Doesn't that sound like a crazy list? Life is hard enough, you know, and you have to be extremely privileged to be able to follow all of these to a T. And don't tell me this is not what the church expects from people, because the amount of times that the term exact obedience has been used in conference is on the increase. I mean, I'm pretty sure President Nelson popularized the term Like he said, obedience brings blessings, but exact obedience brings miracles, whatever that means. So yeah, I don't blame people for thinking it's too much, because it is. And I'm not saying that everything has to be easy. I'm just saying that 
These are impossibly high expectations. I thought this paragraph from a different article was really funny from um, Greg Trimble's uh, You Should Not Leave Mormonism for Any of These Five Reasons article. Quote, For the last two years, I've been teaching early morning seminary. That means that I'm up at 4.30 a.m., prepared and ready to give a lesson to 30-plus teenagers. Then I work all day because I don't receive any financial compensation for my church service. I get home as soon as I can to spend time with my family, and then I've got to get ready for another lesson and to wake up early the next day. Saturday is sometimes free, but then it's off to church on Sunday. It's tough, but what else would I be doing with my time? Like, what else would I be doing with my time? Like, there's no other... What What else? <laughs> really. You could, I don't know, sleep, um, have some time to yourself, work on yourself, some time for contemplation, or to um, have hobbies, you know? It's just... There's enough to do. Like, you have to realize that the vast majority of people cannot keep up with that rhythm. Like, week in, week out. For years and years on end. And it's also interesting that he mentions that the church doesn't pay him uh, for teaching seminary to a class of 30 kids. They should. They should definitely do that. And they have the resources, we know they have the money. It's just they love unpaid labor for some reason. Might be a remnant from Brigham Young, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, that was a bit of a bad joke, but I don't, I don't regret saying it, so... Okay, let's move on. Reason numero dos. They take offense. Quote, Now, everyone is going to be mistreated at some point by a member of the church. Sometimes it is because we are human and we make mistakes, and some, sometimes it is because that person is just not acting Christ-like. Either way, offense will come, but the choice to take offense and be offended is ours. So, okay, this choosing to be offended thing is from one of David Bednar's talks. And I kind of get the arguments, like it's kind of what they say in Buddhism uh, and Stoicism, that pain is inevitable, but that suffering is optional. So that you have control over your reaction to the pain that you experience, at least to some extent. And so Jeremy here is arguing that if you are offended by someone in the church, um, that's just the person's fault. That's just on an individual level, you know, it's not the church itself, it's the people. The people are imperfect, the church and the gospel are perfect. But the thing is that the culture of judgment that is so prevalent in the church stems from the doctrine, stems from the teachings themselves and the rules that we have to follow, because we use those rules to judge each other. And that's one side of the issue, you know, that uh, this culture is systemic and that it's okay to have a problem with it, uh, aside from the individual people. But even when it comes to individual people, it's okay to leave if you don't feel accepted or you feel unwelcome and you feel like there's hostility in the church towards you. You don't have to go and suffer aimlessly. Like, I know what this feels like. I felt unsafe at church because there was this one guy who was stalking me, who wouldn't leave me alone and he would chase me, he would follow me around, he would be very controlling, possessive, even though we weren't together. Um, he was downright just abusive, emotionally abusive, and once even threatened me with physical violence. And things like this are perfectly valid reasons not to go to church, and even to leave altogether, even though there are better reasons to leave altogether, which I will get into right now. The third reason is they take issue with church history. And I'll read a bit of this. Quote, History is not pretty. 
Church history is no exception. One of the most significant issues we make with history is the fallacy called presentism. What is presentism? Presentism is when we look and judge the past based on our modern cultural understanding and expectations. Everyone in history can be twisted into a villain with presentism. So the problem with the presentism argument is that God supposedly never changes. So why would he be inconsistent in the commandments that he gives to his prophets? If he knows what the ultimate morality is, then why would he, you know, make Joseph Smith marry a 14-year-old girl? If he knows about consent, which I assume he does. If anything, he would have a higher standard for consent rather than a lower one. Same goes for racism, like he has always known that racism isn't good. But then, why would he make the church participate in an incorrect, quote-unquote, worldly practice and claim that it is doctrine? You have to either say that the prophets were wrong or that God is racist. Those are the two options that you have. And so, anti-presentism is not a good enough argument. And he doubles down on this in this next quote. I was once having a discussion with four people, myself, a fully active and believing member, two RMs who had taken tons of issues with church history, and Jason, who had left the church right before he was going to serve a mission. The two other RMs were complaining about history when Jason called them out and said, if the doctrine is true, then the history doesn't matter. They were taken aback by his comments and then they retorted, but what about blacks in the priesthood or the changes with the word of wisdom or polygamy? To which Jason very firmly replied, if the plan of salvation is true, then those issues don't matter. And if the plan of salvation is not true, then those issues still don't matter. End quote. So I find this such a weird, strange argument to make because he's basically arguing that human suffering doesn't matter. Like who cares about oppression? Who cares about abuse? Who cares about racism, you know? I mean, that happened such a long time ago. It doesn't even matter now. But the truth is that the teachings of the church and the ramifications of those teachings were deeply harmful to people for over a hundred years. I'd say from the beginning of polygamy to like the end of the priesthood ban, which is like 140 years. You're saying that you don't care about any of these people who lived during this time. Meanwhile, the church teaches you to care about your ancestors and about the people from the past who came before you, but apparently you don't. It just, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Those issues do matter. Because the church of Jesus Christ, a church led by a true loving God, should not harm people by its teachings as much as it has. It should be healing. It should be a healing place to be, if not by the individual people, then by the doctrine and policy, but the church just can't live up to that. So, okay, I'll just leave it at that and I'll move on to number four. They take issue with doctrine. When people leave the church because of doctrine, they run into a problem. They know too much. They know and still believe too many restored doctrines to go to another church. And in Greg Trimble's article, um, number two, not understanding the doctrine. Quote, people quickly forget how logical it is the restoration took place and how illogical it is that someone like Joseph Smith could have come up with all of this on his own. They forget about their foundation and ignore the superstructure of the gospel to focus on a few statements that have not been fully explained or understood. The longer you spend on Google, the farther you are from the truth when researching Mormonism. We live in an information age. You can get your hands on almost any information you desire. The church is an open book. 
I hear people that are leaving the church because they hear a doctrine, which is not even a doctrine, that was talked about long ago because they are just finding out about it. They assume that the church has been lying to them or trying to cover up what they, they've now learned. It couldn't be farther from the truth. All the things that come out are the things that the church published themselves. It's right there in the church publications. If the church wanted to cover up, they wouldn't have printed it. Just because something isn't emphasized in our everyday class, it doesn't mean anyone is trying to hide it from you. We just might not have enough information on the topic, and it is therefore de-emphasized in order to reduce confusion. People forget that the restoration is not complete. We are in the middle of it. Just hang tight and things will be revealed. End quote. Wow. Wow, this is this thing, this paragraph. Everything about this is full of fallacies and nonsensical arguments, and it's a lot to take in, and it's... Oh my gosh, I need to debunk all of this. So, first off, um, these two writers both assume that disagreeing with the doctrine means not understanding the doctrine, because they just can't fathom a worldview in which they don't believe this, in which, like, this doesn't make sense. So that means they just must not understand it. That's the only reason why you could disagree with the doctrine, because you don't understand it properly. And it's just so patronizing, condescending, arrogant. But okay, let's take this a sentence at a time, shall we? Okay, so the longer you spend on Google, the farther you are from the truth when researching Mormonism. Why could that be? Okay, there's two reasons this could be. Because there's many enemies of the church, or because the church does not stand up to scrutiny. I mean, the church is obviously not just like a cesspool of people who hate Mormonism. I mean, there's things, there's factual information, you know. There are things like Wikipedia, which are, you know, basically unbiased, which present information in a neutral way. So can the church stand up to that information? And I personally would argue no. Um, someone else would, could argue something else. But the general principle is that the church should be able to stand up to scrutiny. And research should not be a bad thing to do. And I, as a Mormon, always felt like it was because, oh, all well, these anti-Mormons are out to get me when, no, that's not what is happening here. And so this is just a form of, you know, information control that the church has. Okay, so this next sentence, the church is an open book. So, really? Do you really honestly believe this? Okay, well, let's take um, Joseph Smith's seer stone as an example. Uh, the church denied for decades and decades that he ever used a seer stone to translate the Book of Mormon, even though they knew. They knew because that stone was in the church's vault. They've had this stone since the beginning. They knew about this. They didn't want to tell us, which is intentional deception. And they only revealed this a few years ago, acting like, oh, this was always this way. I mean, if, if you didn't know, that's your fault. When it isn't, you didn't tell us about this. It wasn't in any manual. You are being dishonest. Don't gaslight the members. It is, it's wrong. It's wrong. So no, the church is not an open book. Take, for example, their finances. Um, they don't make their finances public. Um, and so like two years ago, it was leaked that the church was worth a hundred billion dollars and that they had this in their in, in the inside peak fund and that they had invested 40 billion in the stock market seems like a pretty big deal that they didn't want to tell us about for reasons what reasons um hmm well maybe they kind of know that what they're doing is sketchy and is not incredibly ethical or christ-like so that's just my take on it 
I mean, there's plenty of examples, but I'll just, I'll leave it at that um, for brevity's sake. So this next thing, uh, next sentence, I hear people that are leaving the church because they hear a doctrine, which is probably not even a doctrine that was talked about long ago. So I think the best example for this is definitely the priesthood ban and the church's teachings surrounding race. Um, people claim that this was not doctrine, that it was just a policy, and that the reasons for the ban and the policy were also not doctrinal, that they were just theories, but this is demonstrably false by looking at uh, quotes from early church leaders. I'll refer you to my uh, episode on racism. I don't really want to repeat myself right now, but it's very clear that these things were doctrine in that time, which means that they were false doctrine. But the church does not want to admit to that because then they admit that you can't really trust the prophets. And since the whole church is based on obedience to the living prophets, what, what would be the point without that, you know? Um, so yeah, they definitely do not ever want to admit to this, which means they probably will never apologize. And that really sucks, honestly. Uh, okay, this next part. Um, so all of the things that come out are things that the church published themselves. It's right there in church publications. If the church wanted to cover up, they wouldn't have printed it. Just because something isn't emphasized in our everyday classes doesn't mean anyone is hiding it from you. Well, they had enough time to teach their members about the multiple first vision accounts. But is it in any of our manuals? They definitely don't teach children about this in primary, they just keep uh, teaching from the Joseph Smith history account, which is the 1838 account. They are mentioned in the manual for the young women and young men, but it's just one bullet point, you know? It's like, oh, you can read this if you want to. So there's no actual lesson about their differences and what's really in them. Same goes for the seminary manual, like it mentions them, and it says like, well, they are different, but uh, don't worry because uh, they were written at different times and for different audiences, and that accounts for their differences, not even explaining what the differences are, you know, going straight into apologetics without explaining the issue and, you know, just so manipulative. Like, I tried to bring this up in seminary, like, uh, at the beginning of this year, in January, to try to, you know, create a discussion and to spread awareness, you know, of these accounts, which, you know, weren't available until its gospel topic essay came out, um, and still not everyone knows about them, let alone has read them. But, so I wanted to go into the differences of these accounts, but the teacher just completely ignored me, shut me down, she was like, well, don't worry, because of these reasons, and moved on. Because, apparently, that's just exactly what it says in the teacher's manual. She's just following instructions. That's exactly just what she's told to do. And that's not real transparency. Like, whatever the church wants you to think, this is not real transparency. So no, the church is not an open book. And, okay, this next sentence. Just because something isn't emphasized in our everyday classes doesn't mean anyone is trying to hide it from you. We just might not have enough information on the topic and that is therefore de-emphasized in order to reduce confusion. So this is just a bad excuse. Um, if something is confusing, then that is why you teach it, you know? Don't let people figure out the most confusing things by themselves. That's what a class is for, you know? Especially a history class. History is messy, we should get into the messiness. Otherwise, it's just a whitewashed narrative that doesn't really 
actually reflect reality. And that's really exactly what the church wants. They want that whitewash narrative. They want things to be simple. You know, confusion is bad because it breeds uncertainty and spreads doubt, which um, the church is not really a fan of, as we know. But yeah, um, here's the real kicker from the article, The real reason people leave the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has nothing to do with doctrine or history. So, Jeremy Goff is about to tell us the real reason why people leave the church. Let's see. Um, okay, quote. History, doctrine, or the actions of other members has nothing to do with why these people leave the church. It is merely a scapegoat. Those who leave the church and, as a result, become antagonistic leave for one reason. They are not honest in heart and lack integrity to the witness they have previously been given by the Holy Ghost. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. It's not like I've just been like insulted um, to the core of my being or anything. <laughs> he just doesn't get it. It's really that he's, he doesn't understand. He can't fathom the idea that people can come to the conclusion that the church isn't true and that the principles it teaches are not true. And that's really the core of all three of these articles is that there is no valid reason to leave the church according to these people. They, they can't think of any valid reason. There is no valid reason to leave. And that is such a toxic idea and it's such like an us versus them kind of thing and I could even say like a cult tactic um, because it's also being employed by the church itself by saying that there is no happiness on the outside. I think this quote is very relevant by Diane Hamilton. She says, a cult is any group that won't let you leave with your dignity intact. And I'm sorry to say that the LDS church fits this criterion. Calling people who leave, or ex-Mormons, dishonest, it's a really low move. It's a really low move. It's a kind of, you know, ad hominem attack or character assassination, and it doesn't make the person who's doing it look good at all. And so he goes on and gives this analogy um, of, you know, these people are like Laman and Lemuel, uh, they're dishonest in heart, uh, they reject the witness uh, they've received, uh, they reject the truth and are willing to listen to, you know, the, the people who are right, the good people, the faithful people uh, like Nephi. And so he's kind of creating this um, false dichotomy, you know, saying, um, I'm right, you're wrong, instead of saying, we have different perspectives and both of our perspectives are valid, which is the healthier thing, in my opinion. But he goes on, um, quote, Beyond not willing to accept answers to their questions from others, the dishonest in heart are unwilling to accept and act on the witnesses of the Holy Ghost they have been given. So this may not be something that um, he would ever think of, but for people who don't believe in the church, who don't believe the church is true, and the people who leave, um, they don't believe in the Holy Ghost anymore. So the witness, the supposed witness that they received was not real. Um, it was placebo or the elevation emotion, which is a universal psychological phenomenon. Um, it doesn't actually confirm truth. It just makes you feel good. That's the function of it. We don't believe the Holy Ghost is real, so 
we're not forsaking anything. And this is something that I think Mormons do a lot um, with ex-Mormons. They hold our past as a believer against us. You know, they say, well, you had this spiritual experience back then, which means that it was true and you know it, um, which is not a good argument because people can believe in things that are false. You know, we all believed in Santa at some point until we found out that it was just our parents and that it was all uh, a lie. You know, it was a nice lie. Um, it made us happy uh, to some extent, but it wasn't true. And I mean, once you find out that the past prophets have felt the spirit about things that are completely false, um, then you really call it into question. It's just not a reliable way of determining truth. And I mean, no method is flawless, but the method of feeling and emotion is extremely flawed. And you know, when I was younger, this is like the f one of the first things that I really started questioning was the Holy Ghost, because the Holy Ghost is indistinguishable from our feelings and our emotions. Then how can you tell the difference? And people have given me like different answers, like, oh, when you feel like a warm feeling or when you feel a peaceful feeling or when it um, corroborates the words of the prophets. And no answer was ever satisfying to me. And now I found out that that's because the Holy Ghost isn't real. I do believe that those feelings, you know, those warm, fuzzy, peaceful feelings within you, they have a purpose, they have a function, um, but it's not, it has nothing to do with truth. It has more to do with your uh, state of mind and your mental well-being, and that's fine. You know, there are other ways, better ways, of determining truth. There's, for example, uh, science, of course. There's, you know, empiricism, rationalism, good old logic. And uh, for the deeper questions in life, we have uh, philosophy and literature and um, all of these wonderful things that humans have made to try to understand the world that we live in. So those are other ways of determining truth. And I would argue it's even uh, more work than being part of a religion because in a religion and in a church, they just tell you what's good and what's bad, what's, what's true and what's false in a very black and white, um, not nuanced way. And I'm not saying that's worthless. I mean, it has its function. It provides people with structure and um, security and stability. Um, I'm not saying that way of life is invalid, I'm, I'm saying that it is valid. It's just as valid as my way of life or someone else's way of life, and I just want people on both sides of the spectrum to see that and respect each other. Yeah, I really think that's the core of it. Respect is the core of kindness. And I'd really love to see more Mormons have that level and attitude of respect towards people who leave their church. And I'm not saying that all Mormons are rude to ex-Mormons or that all Mormons have these misconceptions. You know, hashtag not all Mormons. Um, I really hope that doesn't become a thing, but, um, you know, the core of that is true. But where I, I'd really want to see the change is in, you know, the general authorities, in the higher-up leadership. Because, I mean, just last conference, uh, President Nelson perpetuated the idea that all people who lose their faith are lazy learners and lax disciples, which is a simply not true and b harmful and unkind to say. So yeah, I wish everyone would have a more loving attitude. 
and that no one would feel the need to resort to stereotypes and ad hominem attacks or insults. So yeah, more love, less harm. That's really all that I'm saying here. Um, I think that's uncontroversial, and I think everyone agrees. So that's a good place to end this episode. Um, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, and I'll see you next time. Have a good day.